This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, I'm going to be joined by my friend Glenn Cole. Hello, Glenn. Hi, Mike. Here we are again, talking about something that's non-controversial and quite easy to understand. It will take us about four or five minutes, and we'll be done. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll be all done. The Sabbath. And how, well, what the Sabbath is and how it applies to New Testament believers. And we're going to cover some ground. I hope we answer some of your questions about that. But before we get into that topic, I want to remind you, if you have any questions, anything you'd like us to talk about, any issues or concerns, feel free to drop me a line, an email at the email address ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'd love to hear from you. So now we'll just dig in to this issue of the Sabbath. I think I'll do a little introduction on this. Glenn and I are sort of winging it. We have some notes here and scriptures, but we really haven't talked about how we're going to address this, really. And I didn't tell him I had this little story in the back of my mind. When I did prison ministry, uh, pretty often the Muslims in the prison would come up and make a challenge and they say, you're Christians, and you don't keep the Sabbath. How can you be a good Christian if you're not keeping the Sabbath? And at first, it kind of flummoxed me, because I was a young believer, you know, in the prison, just teaching little Bible lessons, and so I had to, had to go deal with that. And I asked a good friend of mine, who was very wise, and he said, well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, and the Sabbath is much more than a 24-hour period for Christians. And so today we're going to address that issue. The other thing was, when I was entering the United States a few years ago, the uh, passport control officer there in the Atlanta airport, he asked me what I was doing, where I was coming from, and I said I was coming from Russia. I'm a missionary over there. He said, oh, you're a missionary. What's the fourth commandment? (laughs) (laughs) Not a question you normally get at the border. Exactly. An agent of the state asking me what is the fourth commandment. And, uh, well, he was asking, the fourth commandment is about the Sabbath, and I get a feeling he was a Seventh-day Adventist or something like that. But that was his question, to ask for proof that I'm a follower of Jesus, is that I should know the fourth commandment. So today we're going to get into the Sabbath, what that is, and uh, when it is, and how God looks at it, what the Old Testament says about it, how it applies to New Testament believers, So I don't know. I think maybe, Glenn, you've got some good ideas here. The first thing is the Hebrew word. What is the Hebrew word? The Hebrew word, and a lot of people may have heard this and not fully understood uh, what the word was, but it's Shabbat, uh, where we get Sabbath. uh, The English pronunciation of it is, but the Hebrew word is Shabbat. So perhaps you've been out and about uh, and heard people talk about um, so-and-so observing Shabbat. That's uh, what they're talking about. Usually Jews will call it uh, Shabbat. They won't call it Sabbath. What other things do you have to say about it as we start digging in? Well, you and I have been talking about this topic uh, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. We've been threatening to do this podcast with each other for quite some time. (laughs) So I'm really glad uh, that we're having a chance to talk it through and talk about it because, again, I've learned... Uh, even more just as we've been compiling notes and doing uh, some research, but especially just digging into the scriptures, which is the biggest thing Mm -hmm. uh, we want to do as we're answering the question. And I think it's been, uh, this discussion has been prompted by some misunderstanding about Sabbath and how it uh, relates to Christians. So just like you said, the New Testament believers. And so our discussions have come across uh, that, uh, the misunderstanding. So let's get a proper understanding, I guess. But uh, we today, maybe it's just in America, uh, maybe it's just uh, Christians, I don't know. We have a tendency to think that Sabbath first appears in the Bible when God gives the law to Moses. That's, mm-hmm. We have a tendency to think that it was initiated within God's law given at Sinai uh, through Moses. But really tied up in the meaning of Sabbath is rest. And I'll say that again, tied up in the meaning of Sabbath is rest. It's just not merely an observance of something, but the idea behind Sabbath is for rest. 
so not in every case, but in most of the instances where Sabbath is mentioned in Scripture, certainly in the Old Testament, when Sabbath is mentioned, it's connected with a seven of some sort. The seventh day is a Sabbath. The seven Sabbaths, or seven weeks, are to be a Sabbath. The seventh year is a Sabbath year, and so on. And so those times and periods are to be for rest, but they're also given for reflection, for commemoration, for celebration. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about the, the Feast of Weeks or uh, Pentecost, that was seven weeks after Passover, and it was to be a celebration, uh, a wave offering is given. Yep. So although it isn't specifically called the Sabbath, we see this idea of rest uh, and rest on the seventh day at the very beginning of creation. As God finishes his act of divine creation, he creates for himself a dwelling place, a divine sanctuary, if you will, a temple. Uh, After that, he rests. And of course, we know that God wasn't exhausted (laughs) from his work. Uh, It wasn't because he was weary, but because the purpose of creation isn't merely just to be a habitation for God's creation, the plants, the animals, uh, the people, but it's also, it's uh, specifically to be a place where God the divine creator himself dwells with his creation and where he and his creation now rest together. So that was the idea behind the creation on the seventh day. He rested. Uh, The idea of rest really is baked into creation from the beginning. Uh, But the problem is, is because creation was corrupted because of man's sin. And so our approach to rest has also been corrupted. Mm-hmm. And and this is why we believe that God gave us the gift of Sabbath for rest. Uh, it was the, the promise that had been broken by us, and God has given it back to us uh, as in His law, but then it's been fulfilled later, and we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So initially, uh, Sabbath was to be a day of rest each week on the seventh day, uh, just as the same as God rested from His work. But ultimately, God's design is to restore us and all of his creation, to restore a rest that isn't just periodic. In other words, every so often, every seven days, but it's to be a rest that's continual and it's ongoing, uh, what the scriptures call a true Sabbath rest. Yeah, amen. I think now let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. This is one of the Ten Commandments, what we know as the Ten Commandments, and I'll read it so we're all familiar There may be some things in here that uh, are not so familiar to people, because often when the Ten Commandments are put upon a plaque or carved into a piece of granite in front of a church, they, they actually cut quite a bit out of the actual commandment itself. So here it is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Jehovah your God. On that you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days Jehovah made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore Jehovah blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I do want to point something out here. I've had conversations with people who are quite firmly convinced that Christians should keep a Sabbath day, a 24-hour period, and that's one of God's commands that still applies fully to us. Um, But honestly, they don't apply the part that says, six days shall you labor. Mm -hmm, Folks are happy to have a five-day work week or a four-day work week, and they want to have their weekend. But if you really want to honor this commandment completely, well, then you work six days fully, and you take a seventh day off. And we'll talk in a minute that the seventh day is not Sunday. But that is the commandment that God says in the Mosaic Law. And it's um, because the Lord himself set this pattern early on, that this rest is commanded for his people. So I guess one of the questions that people would have is, what is the Sabbath? And Glenn, you did a good job talking about the fact that it is actually more expansive even than one particular day. It can be every seven years. But the seventh day is to be a Sabbath. And there's this question that people would have, why the Sabbath? And you talked about that some there, Glenn, too. It just says that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and therefore 
when he rested on the seventh day, he blessed it and made it holy. And something to be holy is something that's set aside. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to remind when it says God made it holy. He didn't make the day uh, perfect, pure, pristine. I think we have that idea of holy with the halo over somebody's mm-hmm. head. Yeah. It just means that it, it is set apart for the purposes of God. Yeah. So when you read other language in the Scripture, uh, talks about so-and-so or a, a person or a place or whatever being holy, it just means that it's set apart for the work of God. Yeah, amen. And as we continue this, it's so important to remember that, that the Sabbath day is to be a holy day set apart for mm-hmm. the things of God. And in the Mosaic Law, that was one of the seven days in the week, and then it applied in other places as well. So this brings me to this next question. We've talked about why is the Sabbath and what is it, but when is it? And commonly, and usually, people would refer to it as the seventh day, as we've been talking about. And often, Christians, well, I grew up this way, think that the Sabbath day is Sunday from sunrise Sunday, I guess, until sunrise on Monday. But even then, I wouldn't really think of it that way. I would think of sunrise on Sunday to sunset on Sundays is what I would think of as the Sabbath. So, Glenn, when is the Jewish Shabbat? Well, first of all, some um, disclaimer and clarification. Neither Mike nor I are observant Jews, so there yep. are a lot of things about the Sabbath, some details in particulars that we might uh, get wrong, so we're going to talk in generalities. But mm-hmm. the Sabbath is the seventh seventh day, and for the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, it was from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. Uh, it follows a pattern that God uh, gave in the very beginning in Genesis, and this is why it's from sundown to sundown and not from sunrise to sunrise. But it uh, starts on Friday evening and goes until sundown on Saturday. And again, it just follows the pattern that we see in Genesis. Uh, you'll see this six times in Genesis. There was evening and there was morning the first day. And you'll see the phrase later, there was evening and morning the second day. So the way God reckoned, the way the Hebrew calendar reckons a day, actually begins at sunset rather than at sunrise, as we typically think about it now. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the day starts in the evening in God's calendar. I'll tell a little story here. I was taking uh, Russian language classes from a tutor years ago, and we were going through the names of the days of the week. And the Russian weekday names... Monday is Panidelnik, Tuesday is Vtornik, Wednesday is Sreda, and then Thursday is Chetverk, and Friday is Pietnitso. So Monday through Friday, it's the first day, the second day, the middle day, the fourth day, and the fifth day. That's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And my tutor said, well, Saturday is called Subota, but I don't know why it's called Subota. (laughs) And then Sunday... The Russian day name for Sunday is Voskresenia. So I was able to tell her, Subota is the Sabbath, that's Saturday. Isn't that interesting? That even though the Russian weekday names start with Monday as the first day and Tuesday as the second day, Saturday is still Subota, which is the seventh day. And Voskresenia, the word for Sunday, means resurrection. Wow, never knew that. There in the Russian names are the Sabbath, and then the next day is a resurrection day. So that brings me to something that well, we do need to address, which we just really have mentioned, that the Sabbath is Saturday, it's not Sunday. And we can see this in the New Testament writings in Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 1, the resurrection. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. That's the first day of the week. It's the day after Sabbath. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says that the early church uh, met on the first day of the week. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So the early church started meeting on the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about gathering up some contributions. And he says in 1 Corinthians... Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So there's also a mention, I think, of taking up contributions or 
saving up money on the first day of the week. And I think that would relate to them all meeting together right. on the yeah. first day of the week. And that's one thing that I tell my congregation uh, occasionally, just to remind them that when we gather on a Sunday morning, I will mention that we gather on the first day of the, of the week as a commemoration, as a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that yeah. each Sunday really is like a mini Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We're not coming to celebrate the Sabbath. We're coming to celebrate the resurrection. And we see that pattern established uh, almost immediately. Right. Uh, the early believers began to meet on the first day of the week. On the, they called it the Lord's Day. Yeah, and this is actually a really good evidence for the historical truth of the resurrection, that all of these obedient Jews start meeting together on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And that's a, that's a huge change for a Jew to say, my day of worship now is not the Sabbath day. It is the first day of the week. And they must have had really, really good evidence of the physical resurrection of Jesus if they're going to change the Jewish calendar and the day of celebration. Yeah, it would have gone against everything that they've been raised on. Their uh, mm-hmm. their pattern and rhythm and flow of their life was centered really around the Sabbath and their celebration of it, uh, what came before, what came after. And uh, here they are. Uh, of course, not everyone moved away f- from uh, observing the Sabbath, but they yep. definitely, the early believers, celebrated on the on the Lord's Day, on that first mm-hmm. day of the week. Yeah, amen. So let's dial back, go back to when the law for the Sabbath was given. Uh, Mike, you mentioned that in Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, uh, this is given to the nation of Israel as a law to follow. So imagine when he first gives this law, to the people of Israel, we have to remember where they've been for the last 400 years. Mm-hmm. So God gives them this law. They say He says to keep it holy. This is a Sabbath to me. On that day, you're not to do any work. But for the last 400 years, they've been in bondage. They've been in slavery. They've been in forced servitude to Egypt. So they have worked, and they have worked, and they've worked, and they've worked every single day of the week. And if they had anything to put in their mouths, to eat, uh, it was earned by them. You know, but they sweated in order to get their food, so they worked all the time. But now, here's God saying, it, and I'm going to really paraphrase, you will not find this language in the Bible, but let's imagine God saying this way as he's communicating what the Sabbath is to be. Uh, he, God essentially is saying, it's not to be that way anymore. You're to trust me, and I'll show you that you don't need to work for me. I'm going to provide for you each and every week so that on that one day, that special day, you can rest. You don't have to work for your food. You don't have to work for anything else. You just sit back and rest. But the the idea is for trust. God says, trust me. Stay put. Don't lift a finger because not only have I saved you, I've brought you out of Egypt and a land of bondage and slavery, but I will also provide for you. You don't have to work. I'm going to provide for you. Yeah. So what's important to note here is that the Sabbath is given to God's people. It's a gift. It's not something that they've earned or achieved, but God is saying, here is a day for you to trust me so that I can provide for you. Yeah, boy, what a radical thing for people that have just been not just going to work eight hours a day, but they're slaves. So they're getting up before their masters and going to bed after their masters and and working hard, very hard um, for generations and generations. Amen. So this idea of resting uh, really is God's idea. He created humankind in his image on the sixth day. And it's interesting if we follow the pattern, the way the days are numbered, the evening and the morning, that was the first day, the second day. So on the sixth day, what did he do? He said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. Uh, that's in Genesis one twenty six, And then later it says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So he created man on the sixth day at some point. But then it says there was evening and the morning. There, that was the sixth day. So by the description of creation, really the first thing that the man did was to sleep, <laughs> if we think about it that way. Now, I don't want to push it too hard, uh, but just by the, the reckoning, it, God didn't make man and say, now go to work. 
God made man, and then there came this period of built-in rest. So man was created, and then there was evening, this natural period of rest, and then immediately, where does man enter? He enters with God into the seventh day of rest. And as I said before, Adam, man, did not earn it. Was being created so exhausting for Adam that God said, you know what, I think you need a break? No, (laughs) it was just this natural plan for God for humankind to enter into a relationship with him, to dwell with him, but to dwell with him in a place of rest. Amen. I think that's a really good overview of what we see in the Old Testament writings. And now let's turn our thoughts and attention to the New Testament and the New Covenant. And for people who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll remember that I often return to uh, an understanding of the covenants and particularly the differences between the Mosaic Law and what is called the New Covenant. If you haven't heard them, go look back in previous episodes. I did a series on that topic, and um, it really influences the way that I think about many aspects of what it is to be a believer, how the Mosaic Law functioned, and yet we're under a new covenant now, and it's very different from that Mosaic Law. So in the New Testament, this idea of rest comes up pretty regularly as well, and Jesus himself promises rest for those who trust him. In Matthew 11, uh, verses 28 and following, this is familiar, I'm sure, to most people listening. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there is that invitation, you know, from God himself to enter into that rest that God alone offers. It's also in other places called a peace that passes understanding, this rest that goes beyond our minds and certainly beyond our bodies, but we can really enter into a deep rest from striving. Yeah, and I think there are two ways to consider this. One, when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor in a heavy laden, if you're laboring for your salvation, if you're trying to earn your way to God, uh, to come to Jesus because he will give you rest because he's done all the work that is required that we enter, just like Adam entered into the world and then rested, we enter into salvation, into the kingdom of God, and immediately we're given rest. We're not, we don't have to work our way there. Mm-hmm. So that's one idea uh, that Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy. The, the yoke of the Pharisees or whatever else is hard, it's difficult, it lays a heavy burden, and we're dragged down by it. But Jesus' yoke, his teaching, his way is easy, and his burden is light. It actually lifts our head, lifts our feet, and we're able to walk and enter into that rest. But So that's one idea. The second idea in this is if we look at Jesus as, uh, as Paul uh, says in Romans 5, that he is the last Adam, that there is a, a new creation, a recreation happening with Jesus, and he is the forerunner in this last Adam. So when we think about this new creation that's coming, that God is going to restore all things, Jesus being the the leader and the forerunner, that we enter into this new creation, into the perpetual rest that God had intended from the very beginning. Yeah, amen. You know, I met with some college students on Sunday, I was at their Sunday school class, and as I was talking about uh, the things that God's been teaching me and some of the scriptures that have been very meaningful to me, one of the guys said, well, practically, how does this apply? And I was like, man, let's talk about it. Because well, what came to mind then and what came to mind as I was preparing for this was Paul's admonition to Timothy. And he says, persevere in your life and your doctrine, because in doing so, you're going to save yourself and your hearers. And so these two aspects, correct teaching, which that's what doctrine means, Mm -hmm. to have the right teaching, but also to persevere in life, like the practical application, or how does this teaching actually impact my life, and to persevere in that. So we're going to come into some things that might sound like uh, they're theological and of the mind or whatever, but they actually are deep spiritual truths that have a practical effect on our life as we walk in this world. This brings us, I think, to Hebrews 4. I mentioned it earlier when the Muslims in prison would 
challenge me about not keeping a Sabbath day. Yeah, this Hebrews 4 and Colossians 2 are really the best uh, ways to think about this. Yeah. What does it mean for New Testament believers uh, or just you know Christians today? What does the Sabbath mean? And so the objections that are brought up, well, you're not keeping the Sabbath. Well, we've been given not a new law, uh, but the fulfillment of the law, of the Sabbath law, has been done by Jesus. And so now, as we enter into this new covenant, and Mike, I think understanding the covenants is absolutely crucial. Um, This is not original to me, but uh, someone has said that the covenants are like the backbone of the Scripture. Everything hangs on God has organized His plan of redemption through a series of covenants. And so we now are under a new covenant which is actually so much better than the old one. It's been made obsolete, and we have new promises. So Hebrews 4 and Colossians 2 are really the key verses to look at. Yeah, and as we've mentioned, I'm sure, when you're reading through Hebrews, just keep looking for the words better, superior. Mm -hmm. That's the argument that the writer of the book of Hebrews is making, is that we had shadows in the past, and we had these other things in the past, but now in Christ, in this new covenant, it's just superior. So in Hebrews 4 we read, Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did. This reference is to the Israelites as they were moving through the desert and heading towards the promised land. Mm -hmm. But the message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Amen. I think the next... Sorry for all these asides, but I think my next episode will be talking about Abram, Abraham and his faith that is credited as righteousness. Yeah, that's great. And these Israelites did not combine the hearing of God's word with the actual trust in him and the faith in him. Verse 3, Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. They, meaning the Israelites, didn't enter God's promised rest in Canaan because of unbelief. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day God rested from all his work. Verse 5. And again in the passage above he says, They shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in, because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later after he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Now here we go. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. So Glenn, what are your thoughts about that? Well, there's so much there. We could probably do uh, three or four more episodes just on Hebrews and, and the shadows and the types. Yeah. Essentially, what this is saying, uh, Mike, and I think you gave it in the prelude, is uh, this is comparing what had happened with the people of Israel to what believers in Jesus now are to experience. The, the people of Israel, some, quite a few actually, did not enter into that rest into Canaan, into God's promised land, Uh, that he had made this promise to the people of Israel, they didn't enter into it because they didn't believe him. This is what Hebrews 3.19 says. They didn't enter because of unbelief, Mm -hmm. uh, lack of trust, lack of faith in God. And so what the the writer uh, or the preacher, sometimes called uh, the letter to the Hebrews, is saying, don't go back to this old way. Don't be like the Israelites and not believing in God, not trusting in God for his rest, because uh, he has this promise, but it's based on faith. But he's got this promise that is eternal. It's a different kind of rest than—it's an even greater rest, I guess is a way to say it, mm-hmm. than what the people of Israel would have uh, experienced. Because even when they went into the Promised Land, uh, we read the accounts, they had to fight certain armies, they had to till the ground, and other kinds of things. But the the true Sabbath rest that we're promised by God is uh, a complete rest. He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Mm -hmm. I think about it just in terms of my own parents. 
there were times when I never had to worry about anything because I knew my father was going to provide for me, uh, you know, my next meal, my roof over my head or whatever it was. And so in those ways, I trusted in my father and experienced a kind of rest because of that. Yeah, amen. I would underscore something here for people that are listening right now. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Uh, There's some really deep and good truths here in the scriptures, and we need to be humble enough to really receive the truth of what God is revealing to us about these things. Yeah, because the truth is, is what God has for us is so, so, so much better uh, than anything else that this world has to offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet, uh, and I'm speaking for myself, uh, a lot of the things in this world are what I cling to, and so I have to be reminded, don't harden my heart and yeah, seek yeah. the things above, not the things right. below. Yeah, and as you've said, Glenn, this Sabbath rest is a gift, and under the New Covenant, it's a Sabbath rest that's given as long as it's called today. Every day we can enter into that Sabbath rest. I'll talk about that a little bit more as we move on, but that's what we're seeing here in Hebrews is as long as it's called today, that Sabbath rest is available to people who are following Jesus and living under the new covenant. And uh, we should not harden our hearts to that. The human idea is that we need to strive to earn God's favor. And God is saying, nope, you cease from striving. You stop your labors and rest, have this Sabbath rest of God as long as it's called today. Let's look at some other scriptures if we can. And then we'll talk about them as we come to them and then have a few other thoughts after that. Uh, in Romans 14, it's mentioned again. And uh, we could start all the way at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. Glenn, would you mind reading that? Yeah, us? not at all. And what Paul's doing is he's contrasting uh, those who want to hold fast to certain rules and laws. Uh, and he's giving us the idea that uh, we're not to hold it against our brothers if they believe one way and we believe another, but we're to recognize what God has given. I will go ahead and read it, and then we can mm-hmm. explain it a little bit later. But uh, beginning in Romans 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, "...accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything." So that would include bacon and shrimp and, and whatever else that was against the dietary laws. Mm-hmm. So Paul is saying one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. And if you want uh, more information about this, you can go into Acts, I think it's chapter 10, where Peter is given the command to go and minister the gospel to Cornelius, who was a Gentile. Uh, And this is where Peter sees that sheet coming down with all different kinds of food on it, and what had previously been considered unclean, God is saying now is clean. So because God has accepted him, beginning in verse 4 now, uh, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Uh, To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now verse 5, Paul says, one man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. So each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Amen. Well, one thought that I have here, too, is Paul is saying, don't pass judgment on disputable matters. And then wrapped up in there is one day more holy than any other day. Right. And he certainly seems to be saying that's a disputable matter, which would have been a shock for somebody who saw themselves under the Mosaic law, because one of those commandments specifically says there is a day that's more holy than others. And yet under the new covenant, that doesn't apply in the way that it did under the Mosaic law. And the boy, the point that is taken here, and we've really got a hold to it, is we don't judge other servants of God, if they're really firmly convinced in their own mind that what they're doing is right, then amen, you know, if that's before the Lord. Glenn and I want to bring freedom and we want to speak truth, and yet we know that there are brothers and sisters in the Lord who would have a different view. And so we, you know, I'd say bless them and we'll stay in spiritual fellowship with them. 
In Galatians 4, uh, we read in verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now you know God, or rather, you're known by God. And now that you know him, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved again all over by them? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts in you. Yeah, and the thing we have to remember in this, and I've heard this come up um, just recently because not you know just a couple of months ago we celebrated Christmas, and I heard the objection that because Christians celebrate Christmas, we are uh, doing exactly what Paul said not to do. We, we're observing special days and months and seasons and years, but we, we need to understand the context of what Paul is writing to uh, these churches in Galatia about and what was happening was there were these uh, they were called Judaizers they were holding to the Jewish faith and mingling it with uh, Christian teaching but telling these people that they had to in order to be Christian they had to become Jews and in order to be Jewish you had to observe all the dietary laws you had to be circumcised and especially you had to observe special days but and the crux of the matter is what's the big deal about observing the Sabbath the crux was they were being taught and then the beginning to follow that they had to do these things in order for them to be pleasing to God, in order for them to be acceptable to God, in order essentially for them to be saved. For Christ's work on the cross to have any effect, these people then had to become Jewish, which is a work, and we're told that uh, we don't work for our salvation, it's a gift. So this is why Paul is saying, uh, to them, uh, really emphatically, you're observing special days and months and seasons and years. It's not that they're celebrating a day as a you know a special day, a birthday or a Christmas or whatever. It's that they're doing that, thinking that they have to do that in order to right. achieve their salvation. So that's why Paul says, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts. And this issue, does a Gentile have to become a Jew under the Mosaic law in order to be a Christian? And that was uh, probably the biggest issue facing the early church. When you look in uh, in the book of Acts, I think it's in chapter 15, much right. of Romans is written about this issue. Hebrews is written about this issue. And it's addressed in these other books, Galatians and Colossians. That was a really big issue. And it is still today because human beings naturally feel like we have to earn salvation or God's pleasure. And that's that religious kind of a spirit that it's up to me and I've got to make it happen and God is distant and I'll try to live a good life and then hopefully when I die then maybe St. Peter will let me in. <laughs> that idea yeah. that it's all on us and the, this is why it's good, really good news. The gospel is that we don't have to labor for it. It is a gift and we come to him only in humility and faith and then he gives us all of these wonderful gifts and the ability to live the life that he's called us to. Yeah. I I've heard uh, somebody say it this way that for us especially as believers but uh, for people in general the law is our natural language. We understand yeah. doing something and earning something because of that cause and effect or whatever. So the law is really our natural language. And a lot of times you'll hear it from brand new Christians. Okay, now now what am I supposed to do to make God happy? with me. Well, Jesus has already done everything to present you blameless before God. So you don't have to do anything. Not that there aren't things for us to do, but not to earn God's pleasure. So the law really is our natural language, and we always go back to it. We always have this tendency to jump back into the law. What am I supposed to do? How do I make God happy? And in Christ, God's already happy with you. Uh, so that's why the gospel is always like a foreign language to us, and we have to hear it over and over and over and over again so that it gets into it. Okay, I, thank you for reminding me that I was dead in my sins, but God was the one who made me alive in Christ. That's not natural to me, but boy, is it good news. Yeah, amen. And the early church obviously had to be reminded of that. That's why Paul put it in that letter. Yeah. It was just very natural to start falling into that old way of thinking and not re well, there it is again, not resting in the truth of God. Not resting in the truth of God. And um, I have friends and other people I've talked to who want to observe the Sabbath because for some reason it helps to make them feel closer to God uh, or more spiritual. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, there are different reasons for that. And uh, as Paul said in Romans 14, 
if that is what they are convinced to do, okay, fine. Uh, We don't condemn them for that. But again, I would caution people, if you are doing that in order to make, in your thinking, in order for God to be pleased with you, then that's where the problem becomes. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Galatians 4. And this comes up in Colossians chapter 2, just exactly what we're saying here. I'm just so thankful that we have the scriptures to give clarity. It makes me think, you know, I've had a lot of people say, I want to be a part of a first century church. And I'm like, are you sure about that? Because when you look at the issues that were going on in the early church, I think they mean like the early part of Acts where everybody was living in one accord and, you know, there was this great outpouring of the Spirit. But then when you get into these letters, you see, man, there was a lot of big issues going on there. It was an absolute mess in a lot of ways. And yeah. It didn't take long for it to get there. Uh, why? Well, because we are fallen and sinful creatures. Yeah, Even though we're made as new creations in Christ, we still deal with the old man. Yeah, amen. So let's look in uh, Colossians here, chapter 2. I'll read in starting in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And that is good news. Amen. And we had nothing to do with that. Yeah. That's fully his work. Uh, Continuing on in verse 16. Therefore, you know, whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture... You have to ask, what is it there for, right? So given what has gone before, Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. And here is the crux of it, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So this idea of the Sabbath day, a 24-hour period from sunset to sunset, in the Old Testament, under the Mosaic Law, that was a shadow of the thing to come, the much better thing to come that's found in Christ himself. And there's a danger, a really great danger, and I think this speaks to what you were just saying, Glenn, that people can embrace the shadow Sabbath and lose the reality of the New Covenant Sabbath rest that's available every day. Yeah, that's really good. And we probably could do a whole other podcast. Uh, I'm making notes uh, just on types and shadows, but Mm -hmm. uh, really see it in Hebrews, as we were talking before. The writer of Hebrews wants the, the believers to know that Jesus is superior to all these things that had come before, because the things that had come before were a shadow. It's not that they were bad, but it was just a, mm-hmm. a forerunner, a shadow, and Christ is the fulfillment. He's the better thing. He is far superior to anything that Moses would have represented in terms of giving the law and being a mediator. And it goes with the sacrificial systems. All of those were shadows. They were types. They uh, were to un- underscore the need for atonement for sins, but yet Jesus is the greatest of the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Again, we go back to the law. We want to embrace these things that really are shadows, but the fulfillment of all these things, the greatest part of this, is in Christ. And so when I think about observing a Sabbath, uh, if that is what I want to do to help myself feel closer to God, am, am I embracing the ritual or am I embracing Christ? Yeah. And that's the thing that we need to always be, our, right. our focus, our heads, our eyes lifted up and fixed on Christ, who's the author and perfecter of our faith, not the shadow. Amen. And God save us from teaching that would encourage people to feel like they have to labor or earn God's favor or anything like that, just like Paul was saying to the Galatian church. You know, I'm concerned that all my labor with you is lost because you're trying to find your sense of value or worth in the things that you do, and you've got to earn God's favor, and that's old. That's just a shadow. That's the, the obsolete Mosaic law, and it's it's been completed. You know, Jesus didn't just throw away the law. He actually fulfilled it. But now we're under this new covenant. And this brings me to something that I hadn't realized until we got into this study, that the Sabbath is actually, in the scriptures, referred to as the sign of the Mosaic law, or the old covenant. And that's interesting, because there were other signs for other covenants. The covenant with Noah had the sign of the rainbow, 
And the covenant with Abraham had the sign of circumcision. And the Mosaic law, the sign was the Sabbath. That was the marker of people who are under the Mosaic law is that they did not work one day out of the week. And let's just look at this in Exodus chapter 31, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, and I want to stop here for a second. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, when it's all capital Lord, it's actually the word Jehovah or Yahweh. In the scriptures, it doesn't say the Lord said to Moses. It says then Jehovah or Yahweh said to Moses. So anyway, verse 13, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am Jehovah who makes you holy. And then in Ezekiel chapter 20, uh, God says, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us that they would know that I, Jehovah, made them holy. So there's this linking together of the Sabbath as a sign of the Mosaic law, but also linking that to God's activity of setting his people aside to be holy so that there's this day that is given not for your own labors and your own, I guess, even self-gratification, but a day that is given to trusting God and walking in faith. And that was a sign. Okay, so I'll continue on with this, a little bit more discussion about covenants. We're not under the Mosaic covenant anymore. We're under the new covenant. We don't have to keep that Sabbath day in the same way that the Jewish people did. And this is what Paul and the writer of Hebrews is saying. We're just not under that obligation anymore, that law. There's something so much better. So if we are so focused on trying to keep Saturday as a Sabbath, we're really going to miss the joy of what Sunday celebration really means, the freedom that comes with that. Yeah, and when we think about going to church, that's the language we typically use, going to church on a Sunday, it really should have... um, I'd use the term baked in earlier in in our discussion, but it really should have the idea baked into it that that worship is a time for rest. Mm -hmm. When we walk into worship, we don't need to strive for anything. Even uh, I hear uh, sometimes people, and I understand the intention in a prayer or likewise, uh, saying, God, we invite you here to be with us. Well, actually, it's, it's God who's calling his body to come together because he knows we're we're spiritually hungry, um, sometimes famished, and he's calling us into a place of rest. Yeah, amen. And I also, just while we're here, I want to remind people that are listening, when you attend a service on a Sunday, that is the first day of your week. We tend to think of Sundays being the last day of the week, and then you go, quote, back to work on Mondays. But uh, that's the first day of the week, and it's a wonderful way to start the week, is in fellowship and worship and a reflection and an understanding of God and who he is, that we have the freedom to do that. It's really beautiful. But don't think of Sunday as the the last day, like the finishing up. It's the beginning of the week. Glenn, you had mentioned a, 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 a Jewish hymn. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, just the whole idea of what the Sabbath, the purpose was. If you go back into the Gospels, the Pharisees are really getting on Jesus and his disciples for working on the Sabbath, gathering grain and other kinds of things. And Jesus has to remind them that the Son of Man, and he's referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yeah. And that Jesus' words, and he's reflecting upon uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, that uh, man was not made for the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath that was made for man. So it's a gift. This is what mm-hmm. Jesus was uh, reminding uh, the Pharisees and all of us, that the Sabbath is a gift for us. It's not that we're given uh, to the Sabbath. And I ran across um, this quote for the Jews who observe Shabbat, observe Sabbath. Uh, oftentimes they'll sing a hymn, and there's a phrase in this hymn that says, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept Israel. Mm-hmm. And so that whole idea of why God gave the Sabbath why God gave Shabbat to the nation of Israel is really what has kept them rather than Israel being observant and actually keeping Shabbat. Amen. And may that be true of us, that every day would be a Sabbath day, a a day of rest. And this brings me, I guess, to the last portion of our discussion, practicality. How how does that affect us as followers of Jesus in day-to-day? And we've touched on those things before. And I'll tell a story that came up recently. I was at a, 
uh, some meetings with some leaders of other ministries here locally. And this story came up then, and I think I've shared it on the podcast before, but now it's appropriate too. Quite a few years ago, I met with a missionary in a foreign country, an American guy, who was helping the local church with their youth ministry. And he had been contacting the youth through social media and through text messages and phone calls and things, trying to get the youth to come to different meetings. And and nothing he did really got any response. And he was beginning to get pretty worn out from all this work that he was doing with no result. And he was doing all that he could. And he was with, I think, Operation Mobilization, maybe one of these big international uh, mission organizations. So he went to a conference uh, in some other country. And while he was there, he was talking to an older guy who'd been on the mission field for a long time. And he was telling this older man about how hard he'd been working and all that he'd been doing. And he was trying to get the youth meetings together. It's just wearing him out. And nothing he did was having the result that he was hoping for. And the older guy said, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds hard. That's real hard. It sounds like you're being a motorboat and not a sailboat. I love that analogy. Yeah. That's and so you good. know, so we're talking about practicality. When this missionary told me that, it went into me pretty deep. It's like, yeah, that's what this new covenant is. And we talked about it back in the Old Testament. God promises the new covenant is coming and I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I am going to move in you both to will and to do. So God, he promises under the new covenant that he's going to give us that power not only to want to do what he says, but to actually do it. And that's why this image of a motorboat and a sailboat is just so helpful. Very often, we're like motorboats. We have our engine running, it's our power, and we decide our direction, and we're expending our energy. And yet, under the new covenant, that's not the model. The model is we rest, or Jesus talks about abiding in the vine. Well, then life flows through his people. And when that life flows, there's an overflowing of comfort to other people, Paul says. There's an overflowing of life. There's a fruitfulness that happens just naturally. But the branch doesn't have to labor for that. It just happens. Mm -hmm. And I heard a teaching that that phrase that Jesus says that you'll bear much fruit. A bearing fruit doesn't mean you push it out. It just means you carry it. You carry this fruit, but you don't have to work for it. So that's, for me, practically, man, that is so helpful that God is saying, stop laboring, stop striving. Stop trying to earn my good favor. Stop trying to bear fruit. Rest in me, abide in me, and you're going to have the life flowing through you. It'll be an abundant life, Jesus says. And that image for me of a sailboat is the sailboat needs to be ready, but the power and the direction and the speed, that is not at all a decision that the sailboat makes. The sailboat receives all of that. And it's carried along by the wind. Amen. And that's the great thing. If anybody's ever done any kind of sailing, uh, it is amazing um, how quickly even the smallest of breeze can propel a, you know, a small little craft across the water. Uh, there's a sailing term uh, to be called, uh, it's called being in irons. That means when uh, the wind is at a direction that it's not catching the sail quite right. And usually it's when the wind really begins to die down. Uh, but there are very simple things that uh, someone who's sailing can do to point the sail in a certain direction that it will catch even the smallest Amen. of breezes. And so just that whole idea of not having to work to be propelled as a motorboat. We're driving ourselves, but it's the, the wind of the Spirit that carries us along. Yeah, amen. Yeah. One of my prayers often is, God, change me so that I'll be the man you want me to be. So that even that change of direction or even preparation to receive the wind is not my work, it's his. So I'm asking him to change my heart. That's his promise as well. That's an expression of my own personal faith is, God, make me different. Bring me into a life where I can live out the things that you're calling me to. And as we live in faith and as we abide in him in that way, just resting in him, abiding in him, then you and I can both testify, man, the... the the life that he does give is amazing. Yeah, it really is. And it's given to us. Uh, again, I've said before, there, it's not like we don't have things to do, 
but it's not to enter the kingdom. It's because we're in the kingdom yeah. that we do these things. That's right. Uh, and we begin to find ourselves wanting to do things that, you know, quite frankly, before Christ, I didn't really, I wanted, did not want to do that, but suddenly I have this desire, and that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he talks about in Romans that we are being conformed to the image of God. Mm-hmm. He makes us a new creation. That's in Second Corinthians 5. All of these things are what God does to us, not what we do to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think back again, this Sabbath rest, if it's just a 24-hour period, that is just a taste. It's a shadow of what the reality is that God has for his people, that we can really rest in him. Even in the middle of the greatest storms, we can rest in his power and his authority, and we don't have to be concerned about our lives anymore. We really can be people of peace, and from that peace, let this spiritual power flow. Yeah, it's really good to think about this, uh, and I'm going to answer a question that I imagine some people are having right now, but uh, it's good for us to think about these things. As God has given to us His Spirit uh, through Jesus Christ, that we are taken as, adopted as uh, sons and daughters into this kingdom, and so therefore the striving is no more. And I occasionally will run across someone who is uh, just in almost an absolute um, despair because they think that they have been uh, cast out from God, that uh, a sin that they've committed or whatever has uh, disassociated them uh, from their Heavenly Father. And yet this is the very thing that God has given to us. Because we are His, we can flee to Christ. We don't Mm -hmm. need to run away from God, uh, but we can flee to Him and confess those things because he, He has given us His life uh, and he wants to, again and again, restore this relationship. And so if anybody is laboring under this kind of notion of, I've got to make myself acceptable to God again because I've done something, I, I want to encourage you to know that Christ has paid for every single one of your sins. And, and John says in First John, uh, if we'll confess our sins before him, he's faithful, he's just, he will forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Jesus says, I will in no wise cast out anyone uh, who calls on me, who comes to me. Yeah. And so th- that is also part of that rest. Are we going to sin? Yeah, we're told in Scripture that that is just part of uh, who we are right now in our nature, but don't let that push you away from God's presence. Uh, he's constantly calling us into relationship with him uh, from a place of rest, not yeah. from a place of striving. Amen. And the way I've heard it said, and the way I say it now is, we don't have to be better in order to come to God. We go to God in order to be better. Yeah. Because if we are at a distance from God, then, uh, well, Jesus says if somebody doesn't abide in him, then that branch withers up. And there are a lot of people that are withering, and it does take humility and surrender in order to come humbly to God. The scriptures say that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. And we have freedom to approach his throne, not somebody else approaching for us, but we ourselves can go to him. But it does take humility. Well, Glenn, do you have any other thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, the discussion? I, I mentioned that I wanted to answer a question that I can imagine some people having. Uh, and so the question might be, well, Mike, Glenn, are you saying that there is nothing for us to do in this regard? And it's a good question. Uh, are we not supposed to observe a Sabbath? Are we not supposed to observe periods of rest? Uh, are, are periods of rest not good? Well, yeah, certainly they are. Uh, even Jesus said to his disciples, this is in Mark 6, uh, he told his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. So these periods and times of rest are crucial. I think what Mike and I are, are wanting to convey, hopefully we've conveyed it, is that we are not bound by a law to observe a certain ritual in order to make ourselves uh, pleasing to God. It's this gift of rest that God wants to give us, and he's given it to us in Christ, and Christ himself is our place of rest. We can flee to him. So you know, in light of the new covenant, we emphasize uh, this original purpose of why the, the Sabbath was given. So if it's helpful for anyone to say, you know what, I need to set aside a day Uh, I'm just absolutely exhausted emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever it might be. I'm going to set aside a 12-hour period, 24-hour, whatever it might be, and observe a Sabbath, if you want to use that language. Great 
fine. Uh, there is, we're not saying that you can't do that at all. We're not, um, right. that can be extremely helpful for a lot of us just to, to still our bodies, to still our minds, to still our spirits, uh, to be in God's word. And these things can really help us uh, draw closer to him, but also just, you know, come away from that time rested and fulfilled uh, and ready to meet whatever challenge that might be in front of us. Amen. Let me, I'll share a little bit personally about us. Somebody asked me a while ago, do you ever take a vacation? And in one sense, I can say I have not taken a vacation in 20 years. But on the other side, God has given us ample opportunities for rest and joy and relaxation. I think I would add to what you've said is if you are feeling the need or the desire to take the Sabbath rest, I'd say pray and let the Lord lead you into what exactly that looks like, because he knows you better than you know you. And um, for instance, like my family before COVID came around, we would go to Finland pretty regularly, but we're always praying, Lord, do you want us there or do you not want us there? And it's relaxing there. It's beautiful there, but I don't want to be anywhere that God doesn't want me to be. So even as you're choosing or setting out to have a Sabbath rest of some sort, and as a matter of fact, Glenn, a few years ago, you took a a sabbatical, right? Yeah. How long was that? Uh, It was nine weeks. Nine weeks. Sabbath. (laughs) It was arrived at through a lot of a prayer and a lot of discerning of God's will, and you and I talked a lot about it. So it was really in accordance with the will of God. It starts as a a sense that maybe time for this is coming up, and that was all done, I guess I'd say, unselfishly on your part, like you were seeking God's will for this time. But it was definitely a time of resting from all the things that you'd been involved in and yeah. a time to really focus. It was a holy time as far as that goes, it set was, aside. Right, exactly. And the the thing is, and this, I guess, is an application, when I first began to think about um, requesting a sabbatical, I, if it were up to me, it would have happened two years sooner. Yeah. And I really was trying to force it to happen uh, in various ways and for various reasons. And I, I felt like I really needed it, but uh, just through some encouragement, Mike, from you and from some other people, just committing it to prayer, saying, Lord, I, I believe I need rest, but I need it to be in your time. Yeah. And it wasn't until two years later that I had it. But just in hindsight, you look back and say, that was the perfect time for me to take a sabbatical, to have that sabbatical. Um, um, two years earlier, it could have been nice, but uh, it just seems like that was the time that God gave me yeah, for amen. that rest. There can be a really big danger to say, I need to take a sabbatical so I can draw closer to God, instead of saying, I'm going to draw closer to God right now and see if he wants me to take a sabbatical. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's submitting even that decision to his lordship, because he really does know us better than we know ourselves. Yeah, anybody who's had, uh, especially toddlers, young infants, uh, who fight uh, going to sleep, (laughs) we as parents, grandparents, I just kept my grandson um, just a couple of days ago, and uh, it it came to be nap time, but he wasn't ready. Uh, But there came a point when I realized that uh, it didn't matter if he thought he was ready, he was definitely in need of a nap. And so as yeah. his grandfather, I insisted <laughs> that he lay down. And sure enough, he went right to sleep. And that's the way God is with us. We come to him and say, Lord, I think I might need some rest, but I want to lean on you and your wisdom as to when this time of rest is. And we can take these times of rest every single day. Yeah. Um, yeah, just in the in the way we structure our days and mm-hmm. uh, and often just allowing um, to have the eyes to see how God has provided these little breaks mm-hmm. uh, periodically where we can just rest right. in Him. And Well, and even that image of Jesus sleeping in the boat in a storm, we can even enter into His rest when all around us is terrible. Psalm 23 comes to mind, you prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. And I personally have experienced the peace of God. It really is a real thing, you know, this peace that passes understanding. In the middle of terrible situations, I don't know if I've told some of these, I'll tell them sometime, but yeah, to really sit down and rest and refuse to take the bait for anxiety and worry. Just like say, no, I'm not going to do that because God's calling me to stop laboring and stop trying to control my own future and let him do it because he's the head. I'm not. One thing, again, a practical example, and I think it could be helpful for somebody. When I, you may have the idea that Mike and I think we are experts on resting. (laughs) Um, We have learned through trial and error, and we're still being taught by God 
And one way that I'm aware that I'm not enjoying that everlasting rest that God uh, provides, that he's promised, when I become uh, anxious and get really ramped up about something because uh, just the way I'm wired, uh, I can become... uh, Anxious may not be quite the right word, but uh, I know that there are things that need to be done, and I want to make sure they get done and, and done right. And I find myself just like this sabbatical we talked about. If I'm trying to force a situation or have control over it, or if I find myself becoming fearful, if this doesn't happen, then what? Then I realize that I'm not really resting in God. Yeah, He allows me those times, I think, to become more in tune that He doesn't want it to be that way for me. So, So what do I do? Well, I have to be reminded, and and I'm reminded in God's Word, that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, that He will never leave me, He won't forsake me, that I'm one of His people, I'm the sheep of His pasture, Uh, He works together all things for good uh, for those who love Him, according to the counsel of His will. If God is for us, who can be against us? All of these things that we're reminded about in God's Word are the things that help settle my spirit, realizing that He's sovereign, He's in control, and that He will lead and guide, and we can rest in that whatever the situation might be. Mm -hmm. Even in the hardest, what appear to be the hardest of circumstances, that peace that passes understanding is really a gift that's available. Yeah. Amen. Well, (laughs) actually, about five or ten other stories come to mind that would help apply, but we need to call it quits for now. So uh, we, Glenn and I, encourage our listeners, people who are listening right now, as it says in Hebrews, to make every effort to enter into that Sabbath rest of God. There are a few places in the New Testament where that language is used, things that we are to make an effort to do. Uh, One is to make every effort for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And another here is to make an effort to enter into that rest. It seems like a paradox, but it is actually um, takes quite a bit of effort for me to lay aside my own desires in my own life so that I will enter into a rest that really is, I was about to say, yeah, a powerful rest. It is a rejuvenating, life-filled rest with purpose. So may that... Well, let me just finish up with a prayer then, if I may. Yeah, that's good. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you very, very, very much for caring for us to give us this truth and to give us this gift of a Sabbath rest. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you will teach us more and more uh, what it is to be people who... Uh, engage in a powerful rest, a rest that's full of life and fruitfulness and abundance. Amen, God. People that are listening now, I just pray that you'd give them wisdom and understanding. And amen, not just from a distance understanding you better, but actually entering into this close and deep relationship with you. Amen. We must abide. Amen, God. Help us to abide in you. Amen. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.